The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Sam's Soccer Podcast. There you have the call of the U.S. Open Cup Final on ESPN Plus by John Champion. Atlanta United are your champs. Joining me as always is Jake Wachova and Armand Kafai. And boy, it's been an interesting, interesting final. Listeners, welcome, welcome. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review. Follow us at Sam's Soccer Pod. Go back, listen to both parts of our interview with President and Chief Soccer Officer of the Rochester Rhinos, Pat Ercoli. Plus, check out a long edition of MLS Rivalry Week. Talked a lot, a lot on that episode. Love your feedback. Continue to send it in. Boys, what a strange final. I think strange is like the perfect word to use, Stephen. I think that was one of the more weirder uh, finals We've seen, and we didn't even have a vested interest in this, Stephen. Yes, we we had a member of the Uncle Sam team have his club in the final. Jake Watroba. Listeners, Atlanta 121, that's all for today's show. Check in next time when we talk more MLS. All right, bam, it's a wrap. <laughs> all right, oh, there you go. Uh, um, you know, I wasn't that excited. Okay, here's the weird thing. I- I'm probably going to get flack for this, but... It doesn't seem like the U.S. Open Cup is taken all that seriously. So I really didn't take it all that seriously. And then I was surprised at how excited I was for the match when I woke up this morning and going through the afternoon. You know, I was wearing my Wonderwall t-shirt. I, uh, I was like, oh, I'm getting excited. I can't wait to get home and watch this match. I'm, I'm so I'm so ready to be disappointed uh, at 9 o'clock this evening when they eventually lose. But I had my Wonderwall t-shirt on at work. I was rocking that. People were asking me about it and all this stuff. And I was... I was excited, and yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a gut punch. I, I once again, 
doesn't matter what team I'm pulling for. Anything Minnesota-related, I'm always let down. Oh, there you go. Listeners, we haven't caught on. Today's episode is all about the U.S. Open Cup final, as well as get to Taylor Twellman's halftime comments on proposed changes. All right, Jake. Well, your excitement ended very quickly into the game. Yeah, Stephen. Atlanta opened the scoring early in the 10th minute by a Chase Gasper own goal. Gonzalo Perez crossed the ball, but it was awkwardly deflected off Chase Gasper's outstretched foot. Vito Manone was poorly positioned in the Minnesota United net. He was unable to push the ball over the bar. Six minutes later, Justin Miram, who was poorly, poorly, poorly defended by Roman Mentaner, the loon allowed Miram to essentially walk into the Minnesota United box where he was able to just make a simple pass in fine. Pity Martinez making a run right onto the penalty spot. Pity buries it. And Atlanta is off and flying up two goals early on in the match. Not sure about you guys. I know I had the impression that this match was was over after that second goal. Yeah. It didn't seem as though you've Atlanta been, was going to let up. You've been texting us since last week that if Minnesota United go down by multiple goals early, it's pretty much over for the Loons. And it was. I thought they needed to score first to have any chance of winning this game. I had really no hope of them ever making a game of this, but newly acquired Finnish international Robin Lode was able to pull one back as Kevin Molino finds Lode making a run into the box. And Guzan was late to get to the ball, and the Finnish international was able to pull one back for the Loons to make it 2-1 in the 47th minute. And then things got a little bit interesting halfway through the second half as Gonzalez Perez is sent off in the 74th minute for a foul on Kevin Molino. A few moments before, Perez was given or shown a yellow after he fouled Kevin Molino along the near sideline and had a outburst directed towards the official, which is what drew the card. Now, guys, when I saw the opening lineup for Minnesota United, one thing that stood out to me was how defensive-minded Minnesota was set up to play. They had Hassani Dotson, Ozzy Alonso, and Jan Gregush in the midfield, and it was almost reminiscent in a way of how Chris Armas had New York Red Bulls set up to play in the MLS Cup playoffs last year. Now, what I found was very interesting was Adrian Heath's comments right before kickoff. We can hear immediately from Adrian Heath, the manager of Minnesota United with Devon Kerr. Adrian, hot topic of conversation is going to be Quintero not in the starting 11. How does that change your boys going forward? Well, we pick what we think is going to be the best best team for us on the night. Obviously, it's going to be a long night. At some stage, you would think that, Kev, uh, that Darwin will be involved. It's a big night for us. We want to stay in the game nights and early, and then as the game unfolds, we maybe change one or two things. That's the game. Thank you very much, Adrian. Good luck. It sounds like he set up his team to play defensively, and then throughout the game, as the game grows, he's slowly going to build an attack. Oh, 
my God. You never, ever set up your team to play for a 0-0 result. I, I, I heard those comments. I said, okay, that's it. Pack it up. Game over. Just hand the cup to Atlanta. Jake, have Minnesota United all season long been known to be a defensive powerhouse, a team that can truly park the bus when the game mattered most? They've had their moments, but if you're asking me, do I think Minnesota United is a well-organized defensive team and has shown that this season? No, I don't think they are. I believe they are eighth in MLS in goals allowed. So to suggest that you can walk into Atlanta and just park the bus for 90 minutes and then get to extra time and whatever happens, happens, I think is a little asinine. He said long night, right? Like, I heard that right. He said it's going to be a long night and then we'll sub him on. My goodness, what have we what have we learned? You can't play scared against Atlanta United. You can't just bunker down and allow them to dominate the game against you. And we'll probably talk about this a little bit later, but, I mean, this kind of just reinforces my theory. I feel like Minnesota is just such a weirdly lucky team because early Atlanta goes up 2-0. You're like, okay. This game might be over, but they don't capitalize. You honestly, I feel like Atlanta could have gotten maybe one more, uh, you know, early on, early, later on in the first half, and then you go on. They get that early goal in the second half. And you're like, oh, okay, like it's off a nice little break. That's pretty cool. But you know, Atlanta felt like at times they're closer to getting that third goal than Minnesota getting an equalizer. And then LGP just, I don't know what he was doing. He clearly fouled the guy. And he gets sent off, and all of a sudden, Minnesota's back in the game. They slowly sub on Darren Quintero, slowly start sending in crosses to absolutely no one, which is clearly even a problem for the team. And they just go on. I, Steven, I don't – it's it's so amazing to me that this team just week in and week out, just I feel like the breaks go their way. And I don't know if that's a fair assessment, but makes I don't watch them on a regular basis, but it just seems like week in and week out. They kind of set themselves up to get that right break, and then they capitalized. They almost did. They yeah, almost I mean, did. Heath almost got away with it. I, it's unbelievable. Heath almost got away with it. Oh, man. I, I, I was just frustrated because it seemed like Minnesota United was okay with Atlanta running their game. I, I don't know, Jake. Were you, how frustrated were you when you saw this lineup? What was concerning for me, I mean, besides the we're going to go into a defensive shell and, and try to just bunker down here for uh, large periods of the match, what was frustrating to me is if that's going to be your philosophy, if that's going to be, if you're going to play defensive-minded and you're essentially wanting to hit teams in the counterattack, then why wasn't somebody like Ethan Finley started instead of Kevin Molino? Or why wasn't somebody like Miguel Ibarra was starting instead of Robin Lude? I mean, those those two, from what I've seen, because I watch a lot of Minnesota United matches, those two are two of the hardest working forwards the Minnesota United has. They seem to be the, the only two that are ever willing to track back and play defense. And it, it really made no sense to me why at least one of them wasn't starting. And even Taylor Twelman alluded to it on the broadcast, he said it multiple times that Robin Lude and Kevin Molino are essentially the same player. And and to me, it, it I just thought that 
Minnesota United from the start wasn't set up correctly to have any chance at winning this match. And the fact that he left Ozzy Alonso on the field for as long as he did, who, who he was clearly been playing off, who should, should have, have been, been sent, sent off. off. Correct. But beyond that, he was playing with an injury. He was not himself. And the fact that he sat there and waited to sub on Quintero late in the second half for Alonso was kind of a head scratcher for me as well. Well, there you have Minnesota's side. Obviously, from the get-go, question marks all around the starting lineup. But Armand, I want to focus quickly on Atlanta here. Why were they better? How were they able to ultimately lift the cup? They've just gone back to their roots, Stephen. I mean, that's all it is. I mean, they've gone back to their attacking football. They really, you know, if you allow Atlanta to build and like Minnesota did and don't go at them and don't uh, challenge their defenders in those one-on-one situations, they're going to they're going to capitalize and score. And you saw that off on the right-hand side with LGP's goal. You saw that even on the left-hand side when uh, with Justin Miram's ball to PD Martinez. It it just this this team when they're on their attack they're just so versatile they're so interchangeable and they're able to just go up and down the pitch. I mean you had LGP Leandro Gonzalez Perez crossing in the ball that you know took a wicked deflection off Chase Gasper and went in. That's a center back. Let's not forget that that's a center back. And then you have the interchangeability with him and Julian Gressel, Miram, and you know Florentine Pugba if he wants to pu- uh, push up the pitch. You have that bounce in midfield Barco and Petey. Moving up and Joseph attracting attention. You have so many weapons all across the field. And it's not, let's forget Eric Rometty and Miles Robinson, two of the stable guys in the back. They're overall just a better team than Minnesota. And like I said earlier, I think Minnesota came to kind of just get lucky. And they almost did. So credit to them. They almost did. <laughs> but you can't come into a match against Atlanta United and play conservative. We saw the Red Bulls get burned by that. And now look, we saw Minnesota get burned by that as well. And teams. I think teams think the best way is to bunker. I don't think so. And I, I want to see a team like, I guess, I guess, I guess LAFC is the only team that really does this, go and try to hit this team and actually play football against them instead of whatever this was. Punch yes. first. Armand, can I ask you this? I'm here. I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second. Because I agree with you, but I, for the sake of our listeners, I want you to explain for this the to takes. For the, the takes. takes. Atlanta, with all their talent, does a fantastic job at overloading the box. Would you agree? Yes. And they're able to pull defenders away from the zone they're marking. They're able to create pockets of space for guys like Martinez, for guys like Pity, for guys like Barco to make runs into and to generate scoring chances. So my question to you is, if you decide to not play conservatively, how do you defend against that? I mean, it's it's a tough question, right? Because you're basically playing a football against football. I mean, with Atlanta United, if you want to defend them, okay, maybe sure you have a couple uh, numbers back here and there. But I, I would say the best defense against Atlanta United, now call me crazy, is having the ball. Just don't allow and try not to allow Atlanta to have the ball and develop their game, put Atlanta on their back, and see how it is to defend. I mean, to be honest with you, Barco isn't the greatest defender. P.D. Martinez isn't the greatest defender. Justin Miram's a left winger converted to a left back, a left wing back. 
we saw Florentine Pogba, who wasn't that great, right? And sure, maybe Pogba doesn't start in the, in the, norm, in the normal matches, but Atlanta just seems to be really good at one-on-one defending. Like last stage, like on the counter, why try to play a little defense with some offense? And that's what the good teams do, right? Like the thing about it, LAFC, their opponents don't have that much to the ball. They have the ball. They dictate the game. And then what? Their defense doesn't have to do much. I mean, I remember. I- Yaramon, I want to quickly pause you there because you're talking about the LAFC match against Atlanta United on July 26, in which the game finished 4-3. to And LAFC actually held the ball 51% of the time. And if you look at it at the sum of the season, Atlanta have held the ball fourth most in the league with the ball 53.9% of the game. All the time is Atlanta takes the game early, and then when you want to set up shop, they set up shop, right? They did it against Orlando. Uh, they, they've done that. It kind of switched to more counterattacking style. But, I mean, like I said, if they don't have the ball, like that's, that's going to be your best offense. I don't think – I talked to I, – like, I, like I said, I talked to Ryan Hollingshead. He said one of the things that really good teams do is they have possession – and their defense doesn't actually have to do that much work because the team has the ball and they offensively can dictate the game. And the other team just can't simply get a ball. And so LAFC does good. And we see NYCFC do that really well as well. And it's just one of those things where I want to see a team challenge Atlanta United. And you know what? Let them challenge them and see how it goes because I think they'll be a little surprised. I think NYCFC would try to do that, but I don't know. But... Having said that, the weird thing is their kryptonite is really the Red Bulls who don't dominate possession and instead try to win the ball high up the pitch where Atlanta dominates possession instead of trying to be in the lower block. So it's basically the opposite of what Minnesota did tonight. That's that's the way I would go after them, Jake. Funny, funny thing is Minnesota are 21st in the league when it comes to possession percentage right behind the New York Red Bulls. There you go. But the Red Bulls like many know, like to press high up the pitch. If you look at their stats, since we're going really heavy this episode, like the Red Bulls actually are tied for the highest percentage of having the ball in their opponent's own half. Uh, I want to say 32%. So the Red Bulls try to press you and win the ball high up the pitch. Minnesota, Jake, I, I, you know better than me. They don't do that, right? No, they don't. they don't do that. They... They like to win the ball in the midfield and try to hit teams in the counterattack, and they try to get the ball to Roman Montaner to send in crosses to the box. It's a very lethal attack, Armand, as you've seen. So <laughs> it must many be times. frustrating to watch as a fan as just aimlessly hit the ball in. We- you know, I've been I've been hesitant to say this, but I think I, I posted it on Twitter tonight, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put my flag in the ground right now on this. Minnesota United is a better team when Hassani Dotson starts at right back over Roman Mentenaire. Hassani Dotson for Rookie of the Year. <laughs> uh, fellas, quickly, Jake, go to you here. Atlanta United just won the Champions Cup not even two weeks ago, August 14th. They won MLS Cup last year. They add the U.S. Open Cup to their trophy cabinet. They get a Champions League spot out of this. What's the trophy mean to them? 
Well, the U.S. Open Cup is is set up more like the MLS Cup playoffs, so I'd have to think that this is a boost of confidence in that locker room to say, hey, we can play knockout football in a, in a one-off game, in a competition filled with one-off games, that is, now that MLS Cup has moved or changed its format to that. I would say if you're Frank DeBoer and his men, you got to look at this and say, hey, we just went and won a trophy playing a bunch of one-off games. Why can't we do this in eight weeks? When it's time for play for when it's time to play for MLS Cup, I, I had to think that this is a a huge shot in the arm for Atlanta United. Not to mention an Atlanta Atlanta United team that was almost on the brink of, I don't want to say implosion, but the players wanted the the manager out, and now all of a sudden he's got a Campiones Cup, he's got a Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup to his name. I I would have to think that. Frank DeBoer has a lot of foot soldiers now in that locker room after winning two pieces of hardware this season. Yeah, so uh, where's all Frank DeBoer haters at Jake Wartsroba at Armand Kafai? Where are you at? Where, where are you <laughs> apology at? Apology letters wow. coming? We getting some apology no, letters? No, I refuse to. I refuse to run an apology letter. I think MLS pundits and fans alike can completely understand our perspective. We see this shift in Atlanta United's play, and as Jake said, there was a little bit of a crisis going on. P.T. Martinez going to Argentinian radio saying, hey, look, I'm not happy with this. DeBoer calling out P.T. Joseph making, you know, snide comments about the playing style, LGP, Barco. It wasn't good. But what what happens? Frank DeBoer, like we mentioned before, good managers adjust. He adjusted. Now you got Campiones Cup. You got that U.S. Open uh, Cup victory. You know what? You get some extra money in those guys' pockets. You know, MLS players don't make some MLS players don't make that much. Not bonus. Those bonuses really help as well. They're a happy bunch, you know, going into these matches now. And my only thing is, I wonder if fatigue will catch up to them a little bit uh, as the season progresses on because they haven't rotated as much as you'd like, right? I mean, they've kind of used the same lineup in those three-day spurts, and I wonder if they'll not be as fatigued. Uh, going well, maybe, into maybe, season. maybe oh, they, oh, take, they take a couple games off. You know, looking at their schedule, they, they go to Philadelphia. You're not going to really rest there. They play Columbus at home. That could be a chance to rest. I'm kind of circling this at FC Cincinnati match uh, uh, coming up. That one on September 18th, it's, it's kind of in a good spot, you know? But... But let us not forget, there's a little bit of an international break going on for Atlanta United. Their game against Philadelphia on the 31st, their Columbus game would be on the 14th of September. So they'll catch up. But I, I wonder, man, you might want to rest them at Cincinnati match. They don't look so good right now. Um, I, w- I would eye that one. But, I mean, I, I would have to assume that a two-week break will also be pretty good for them as well. Yeah. Atlanta going forward. This is great. Trophies, trophies, trophies. This is exactly what Atlanta wants to be known for. And the more silverware, the better. And now they have an opportunity to go into the CONCACAF Champions League with their eyes set on capturing that trophy. Which, by the way, for us neutrals, awesome to have Atlanta qualify for that. Now, Jake, quickly, Minnesota, upcoming weeks here. A little difficult for them. Can they hold on to a playoff position? That I see that question in our notes here. 
What are you going on about? Steven, Minnesota United has a tough stretch of games to close out the season. They have to play LAFC twice between now and the end of September. So let's keep that in mind. That's that's a pretty difficult uh, thing to overcome, I think, for a team. They also have away matches at Portland and Seattle, two teams that are jostling for playoff position in the Western Conference. As we know, the Western Conference is just a slugfest right now. Everybody is just packed together two through eight. And with the way they've been playing their run of form lately, I question if they're able to pick up seven or eight points between now and the end of the season. I I just think they're going to have a hard time picking up wins. They have a game away at Houston in the middle of September. That's probably three points. But after that, you have games against SKC, RSL, LAFC, Portland, Seattle. It's just going to be tough for Minnesota to pick up points as they get down to the, uh, the business end of the MLS season. Jake, according to 538, Minnesota have a 73% chance of making the playoffs. So we'll see if that comes to fruition, whether or not they are the team outside looking in. Now, fellas, Taylor Twellman at halftime talked about the U.S. Open Cup and talked about how MLS is on big things and U.S. club soccer is growing. But he talked about making changes to the format. And this is a longer clip, listeners, but I think it's worthwhile listening because he provides an actual change that doesn't sound radical, doesn't sound insane. This is, he, he thought it out. It may, it, it genuinely makes sense. And I want to get Jake's and Armand's opinions on this because I don't know if they had heard it. And listeners, question of the day, do you agree with Taylor Twellman? And here are his comments at halftime during the U.S. Open Cup final. Uh, and the, the wide, varied nature of those sides and players that compete is part of the attraction of the competition. But yep. how, I wonder, could U.S. soccer look to make this competition even better for next year? John, I think U.S. soccer is on the precipice of the U.S. Open Cup really exploding. And with the rate that Major League Soccer is expanding, you've got to counter that. You've got to add to that. That is your job as a federation to grow in the markets where MLS is not hitting into. And so I've got some proposed changes that will add to this. First and foremost, obviously, you've got to add some jeopardy to this. Major League Soccer teams need to enter one round earlier, but add a little element of accountability. If you don't make the previous season's playoffs, guess what? You're in a round earlier, and every MLS team needs to start on the road. Biggest reason why? Grow the game. Des Moines Menace, you need to have Wayne Rooney and D.C. United in your building at first. Secondly, most importantly, Sunday night I'm watching LAFC host LA Galaxy. That will never be a U.S. Open Cup final. John, Manchester United can play Man City in the FA Cup. Liverpool can play Liverpool can play Everton. So my point is get rid of the regionalization of the tournament and maybe have some matchups that we've never seen. I don't need to see Portland Seattle anymore. I don't need to see LA LA. I don't need to see the Red Bulls and the New England Revolution. And then the coin toss for a host in the final. I think when you use a coin toss as that, it's a 50-50 chance. That means 50% of the time you're not making the right decision. There are smarter people in this sport in the country that will make the best decision for that host. And finally, I found this in your wallet. I didn't even know you had cash in your wallet. 
by the way, it's the first time in eight months he's had cash in his wallet. Cash speaks. Imagine if this tournament, the winner tonight was a million dollars. Or if it had a title sponsor that added to that element. Then all of a sudden you're growing the sport as a federation, but they are on the precipice of this exploding because Major League Soccer is here and U.S. Soccer needs to grow the Open Cup right with okay. it. So cash speaks. Speak it to the cash. It is not just, his $20. Just, just say goodbye to the cash, okay? <laughs> I have for about this six cash months. Is now disappearing. Six months. <laughs> six months. All right, listeners, if you didn't catch that all, let me just repeat the changes Taylor Twelman is proposing. MLS teams enter one round earlier if they miss the playoffs. MLS teams play first game of the tournament on the road. No more regionalization. Eliminate the coin toss for hosting the final. Jake, come on, this sounds good. I can get on board with this. There's a lot to unpack here. First of all, I completely disagree with him that U.S. soccer is on the precipice of this tournament exploding. I actually think quite the opposite is happening with this tournament. I don't know how Why? you can Why? say Why? Is it too MLS-centric? Is it too much that... It's too MLS-centric. MLS teams don't care about it. There's no marketing behind it. You can't tell me that a meaningless, or I shouldn't say meaningless, but you can't tell me that a game against Orlando City on a random Sunday afternoon in June draws... 40,000 more people than a cup final match does. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me that, that he can say that this, this tournament is on the precipice. So for one, I just, I disagree with him there Two, I do agree with him that MLS teams should open the tournament on the road. I think that would be a great way to help teams in lower division soccer make more money. However, I disagree with him that teams that did not make the playoffs the year prior should then have to enter the tournament a round earlier. Now, on the idea of no more regionalization, that sounds good in theory, but for a lot of these smaller clubs, travel costs money. That's 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 an expense, and some of these teams don't make that much money, and I. I agree with him seeing Seattle and Portland play 18 times a season gets old. And we know you love that rivalry. I love that rivalry. I love seeing SKC and Minnesota United play in the open cup every year. I get it. It gets old, but I'm sure it was not cheap for New Mexico United to make a trip to St. Paul, Minnesota uh, in July. So there's a lot to unpack there. I like the ideas, but as far as changes go, I, I really only think that MLS playing on a road game or playing a road game to open the tournament is is a, is the best idea. Well, Stephen, let's forget Taylor's proposed changes. Let's scratch out Taylor and put Armand's proposed changes. How do y'all oh, like God. that? Y'all oh, like boy. that? Y'all like what, that? What y'all like propose? that? I mean, it's not as radically different as what Taylor proposed, but I don't think. MLS regular season should have any impact on the Open Cup. They're two different tournaments, plain and simple. I think, number one, MLS teams should enter one round earlier as well, and I think they should be forced to start on the road. If whoever is in the higher league must start on the road, and if it's you know up in the air, like if it's USL versus USL, then 
do a do a coin flip. I mean, that's that's the only way really, really to do it. Number two, yes, no more regionalization, but there has to be a caveat behind it, right? Look, a lot of teams cannot afford flying everywhere. USSF, if they're a non-professional team, again, they have to they do it right now up to fifteen thousand, I think, but they have to cover the transportation for these teams if they're not in there. Um, I think some of the USL teams can can handle it, and they should be able to handle it if they want to survive. But a lot of amateur teams struggle. So yes, no realization, but increase the reimburse reimbursement costs. Plain and simple. You know, I think they need to host the final. I agree, but let's do what Steven does. Forget the coin flips. Make it a random draw, right, Steven? I think I think Steven. Yes, I think Steven. Yes, yes, yes. We like the entertainment of yes. the draws. Put so a, without the oh, without, ping pong without, balls, without the where are region, those ping pong without, balls? Yeah, exactly. Without the regionalization, you need to go to somewhere where they're drawing out of a hat or out of whatever those ping pong balls. So you yes, you don't want matchups like FC Dallas and Houston Dynamo or whoever the hell they play multiple times or Seattle Portland. You don't want those anymore. We don't want that. And yes, increase the prize pot as well. That's going to be a huge part of it to make things realistic. I guess my I guess my 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 final twist would be forget even host having the final being hosted anywhere. You know what? Have it being host, hosted at a neutral site and make this tournament feel important by having it not smash in the middle of a week. It has to be either on a weekend, a dead weekend, or something like that. It, it feels. Jake Steven, you know what this feels like? It rushed. feels like the it's wild rushed. card let's, matches. Yes, yeah, it's rushed. It, it feels it's like, like the wild card in, matches that out, no one on. cares. Exactly. No one cares. This tournament has importance. It has history. And you know what? It provides you a continental berth in the continental competition. That's huge. That is so massive. It feels like those stupid wild card games. And what MLS do, they got rid of that and moved them to the weekends. They have now you have a wild card weekend kind of thing. Either have it maybe at the after the MLS Cup playoffs, or well, I mean, maybe a little too cold then, or you know, maybe like a couple weekends before, not in the playoffs, but before regular season. It, just, it does feel rushed. I want it on the weekend. I don't want it in the middle of the week. Scratch out Taylor's proposed changes. These are Armand's proposed changes, and that's what I would do. To give you a summary: have the MLS teams enter early, regardless of where they finish. Have them play on the road. Screw the regionalization. Get those ping pong balls going, baby. And have it at a neutral site and on the weekend. I want to make this a big occasion. Let's make it fun. Let's make it exciting. Realistically, I don't think the neutral site thing will happen. And I don't think MLS teams will enter uh, the first round early uh, when we hear a 2020 Open Cup. But what, what a man can hope, right? Yeah. A man can well, hope. Uh, listeners at Unksam Soccer Pod, question of the day. Do you agree with Taylor's or Armand's proposed changes to the U.S. Open Cup? And listeners, I'm directing my question to those who follow teams of lower divisions. What is your take on the U.S. Open Cup? How can it be improved? Because right now, MLS is dominating it. And it seems like MLS really only kicks into gear when you get to the quarterfinal range where your eyes are suddenly on the prize and you can see it. You see the finish line. How can we make this tournament not only have fans engaged into it, but also the media, also the sports landscape. I mean, look what the FA Cup means. This is an opportunity for lower division soccer to give the middle finger to MLS. We know there's a lot of heat between those inside MLS and those underneath MLS. 
So at UncleCamSoccerPod, at Armankafai, at Jake Watroba, at Steven Jodrant. Give us your thoughts. Send them in. We'll be back next week. No show coming out Monday. Enjoy your holiday, Labor Day. We'll be back Tuesday. Until next time. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound. So you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound. So you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving.